0: People are looking for something to find hope in because so much of music and movies and television spits in their face, insults them for having very simple,
1: fundamental values. In this episode, I sit down with Matt Azraeli and Brad Skistimis, who is also known as Five Times August. Azraeli co-founded the Post Millennial and is now CEO of Based Records, a new music label for artists who refuse to
2: conform to political and cultural orthodoxies. Ace just released five times August's new single. Ain't No Rock and Roll was sort of like my response to all of my musical heroes that didn't show up over the last three years. With COVID and worldwide tyranny, there was never like a better time to speak up against the man. And very few of my heroes showed up to the fight. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya
1: Kelleck. Brad Skistemus Matt Azrieli, such a pleasure to have you both on American Thought Leaders.
2: Thanks for having us. Great to be here.
1: So of course you are better known as Five Times August and uh, Five Times August is now signed with Based Records, of course, which is is incredible. And you've got a really wonderful, thoughtful music video out. And why don't I just actually start with a quick clip of that? Ain't no rock and roll.
3: (laughs)
2: Where did this come from? Ain't No Rock and Roll was sort of like my response to all of my musical heroes that didn't show up over the last three years. I feel like with COVID and just worldwide tyranny, it was ne- there was never like a better time to speak up against the man. And very few of my heroes showed up to the fight. So this was my uh, sort of musical response to those guys.
1: It, it is actually remarkably shocking that few people that kind of made their names Right? and essentially speaking truth to power, or supposedly speaking truth to power, just suddenly we're absent here. It is amazing because you think about
0: the countercultural movement of the 60s and the energy that was behind it,
1: and it seems like so much of it was a sham. So was it really a sham or did people change their minds? I mean, there's, I've heard both theories. So in my opinion, a lot of it's
0: demographic. There were many younger people around the time of the 60s. And as a result, you had certain economic, social considerations, just the result of of an old regime being replaced by a new regime. Unfortunately, the children of the 60s are still extremely significant demographically in the United States, and they do not, under any circumstances, want to surrender power economically or politically, Mm. and this is symbolic of that.
1: Uh, uh, fascinating, and so you know, you you've done a bunch of songs now. I mean, I think I think in in a sense, this song, this new one that you've just launched, is is one of the tamer ones of the of of, of, of your recent set. But so
2: so, tell me, how is it that you ended up doing these songs? Well, I spent a lot of twenty twenty examining what was happening in the world, and I was thinking about um, the future that was being made for my kids. And I felt like I had a a platform as a musical artist. And like I said, I I was looking around wondering why my heroes weren't speaking up. So um, I decided to sort of step forward and start releasing these songs um, and and say something musically. um, Not just as an artist, but just also for the sake of my kids future. I didn't want them to look back on this time and, and, you know, wonder why dad didn't say anything about what was happening in the world. You know,
1: fight for you makes me makes me think of that actually.
2: Yeah, exactly. That that one was for uh, it was for my kids. It was for a lot of the parents in this movement that children are at the forefront of this fight. I think.
1: But you know, you've been you see, I don't think you've been treated very well by the music industry aside from a
2: few uh, outliers here. But <laughs> yeah, um, you really learn who your friends are the moment you sort of you know dip your toe into that water and start speaking out about what's important to you so i lost a lot of uh a lot of friends in the music industry but also gained a lot of new musical friends and uh, that's really exciting to see It let me know that i wasn't alone how is it that uh, you came across five times august Matt. well brad's a phenomenal
0: talent He's not only a phenomenal songwriter, actually the music videos for his songs, he puts them together. He's the artist behind the videos. Um, And so my first exposure to Brad was through Sad Little Man, the music video for that. And I thought it was phenomenal. And the team loves Brad, because at the end of the day, what we're trying to do at Based Records, it's not a matter of partisan politics. It's not a matter of left or right. It's a matter of creating a new culture. And that's what a guy like Brad actually does. He's an actual creator rather than somebody who's just going out there being acrimonious. He's actually trying to say something. So come to think of it, I didn't even ask, how did you guys actually meet? So we first met in person in Austin, right?
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I was introduced to based through Chad Prather actually. Oh really? He told me about you and, um, and then uh, you guys invited me down to Austin, and uh, they were doing an event with Mines, and, and we all hung out that night, and I got to know the guys pretty well.
1: Wait, wait. So you're saying I was there? And you right? were there too, yeah. yes, sir. Yeah. Oh. You, you were there with uh, with your producer, Karis, who was a,
0: a wonderful lady, not too far off camera. And... Uh, no, it, it was a great event. Uh, Brad was there, Winston Marshall of Mumford & Sons was there. He came and uh, he, he played a couple of songs. He was great. We had uh, a really fantastic night. We had Jeffrey Steele and Ira Dean, who were two very big songwriters uh, out of Nashville. They wrote for Aaron Lewis, i the Only One, big hit song, and they
1: played that song. It was a lot of fun. So, Matt, tell me a little more about the different artists that you've signed or are looking at and is... I can't help but think, is Oliver Anthony one of them, or at least, have you reached out? What a great song, huh? Mm -hmm.
0: Amazing song, Richmond, uh, North of Richmond. Mm -hmm. Really incredible, especially that first verse. Really hit a lot of people right between the eyes. Um, You know, we reached out to tell him congratulations, and obviously, if he ever approached us, we'd love to work with him too. You know, in terms of the artists I'm trying to work with, it's about a, a cultivated sense, it's about, First of all, the aesthetic, the quality of the music, but it's also about finding people who are easy to work with, people who are receptive, but we're working with Brad Five Times August, working with Chad Prather, who also has a show on The Blaze, who has a real Will Rogers, comedic, humorist quality to him. We have Chris Wallen, who's a fantastic songwriter in Nashville, and he's working with talent, songwriting talent, all over town and we found one incredible song called I'd Be Jolly Too, Um, and Chad has cut it, and it's gonna be a wonderful Christmas song. It's raunchy, it's fun, there's energy. We're also working with Hi-Rez, who recently put out his Trump the Dawn series. I'm sure that you saw First Day Out. Uh, He did an AI Trump parody rap, Uh, and we're gonna put out an incredible song this November. It's about the Second Amendment, our need to protect our Second Amendment, and his personal experiences with it, which have been heart-wrenching. And then we're also in talks with Afro-Man. We're in talks with Afro-Man to do uh, a parody of Because I Got High called Cuz Hunter Got High. All right, and we're looking, the point is you have to have fun.
2: Uh, the new single, Ain't No Rock and Roll, is, is sc- sort of a, a super group of superstars from Nashville, sure. as well as uh, Pete Parada from The Offspring, who who is uh, unfortunately kicked out of his band for not getting the shot. Um, but he plays drums on it. Ira Dean on bass, who's a mega star. Uh, Chris, who we mentioned a few times, produced the track, who's a mega superstar. Tom Bukovec on guitars, who's a great Nashville guitar player and Jim Moose Brown, who played with uh, Steve Miller's band. So, all like-minded, freedom-loving musicians who are on the track.
0: And that's the other important thing about Nashville, by the way. Nashville's the one place where you can find like-minded people, talented people, who are just incredible musicians. And a lot of them aren't being given uh, their due because of their opinions, right? And that's why, actually, we started the office in Nashville specifically to find those people and work with them.
1: It's hard to imagine in these times how it is that you could be profitable uh, trying to do what you're doing.
0: You make a great point. I mean, I, I ran a big conservative news website called The Post Millennial. And uh, right around the time that COVID hit in the Summer of Love hit, we had a really fantastic journalist, he still works there, Andy Nome, who covered uh, Antifa and what Antifa was doing in uh, Portland. We had another wonderful guy, Ari Hoffman, in Seattle. And so we had the Pacific Northwest covered. And as a result, we had tons and tons of boycotts, right? The thing that I learned about conservative media is that we're looking for something to sell in the sense that people are looking for something to find hope in, right? They're looking for art. They're looking for culture because so much of music and movies and television spits in their face for lack of a better term insults them for having very simple fundamental values for having children for caring about your family for wanting to make decisions about your own body you're right no business is guaranteed to be profitable however what i believe at least in terms of the mission is that we have to exist this kind of art has to exist and because i think that the success of this kind of art is inevitable, the success of the business. You know, God willing, there will be proper stewardship, and I won't do anything uh, stupid. But, uh, but God willing, it'll it'll succeed as well.
1: Well, you mentioned art and culture, but there's also news. And I just before going back to the music for a moment, I want to touch on that. The post millennial has been a very important uh, you know, media property in the ecosystem, which of course we look to very often. And, to, and uh, to add to your point, absolutely people are looking for just, you know something closer approximating straight up news at the very least, or straight up news.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tim Pool, for example, is an extremely talented guy and he reads post-millennial, right? Other than Tim Cast, if he's reading something, it's often post-millennial, right? And you mentioned that people at Epoch are reading us too. When I founded Post Millennial, that was the entire idea. I looked at conservative media and I saw that everybody's reacting to let's say the New York Times or in my case to CBC, right? But very little on the ground reporting, very little simple relaying of the facts was being done, right? And so we can't always be on the back foot. We have to be creating art And by the same token, we have to be reporting just the news and just doing it well. And actually, that was before COVID. You saw what happened during COVID and how certain stories, the bias was reflected in terms of the stories they wouldn't share, that they wouldn't report on. And that's what Epoch Times does very well, by the way.
1: Well, so Brad, I first heard you at the uh, DC Defeat the Man Base March. I can't even remember what year it was right now, but it's, it, was, it was sort of one of these moments where a whole lot of people got together in this town um, to talk about many of the things that you sing about and write about in your, in your songs. And, and, and apparently, I didn't know this until I just learned it, you know, construct into your, into your videos, which are remarkably creative. How is it that you went from, as I understand it, you know, doing kids? Kids' music, um, and, and even before, tra- trace your, your journey here as a musician for me, please.
2: Sure. So, I started Five Times August right after high school. And, you know, for many years, a good decade, I was touring colleges, just sort of singing pop love songs. I had a lot of songs licensed to MTV shows and uh, different indie films and commercials. And that's sort of what I was doing for a really long time. Um, then I took a break from that and actually started a whole new kids project called the Juice Box Jukebox. And I was making, you know, probably the most pure music I could put out there about kindness and being thankful, but doing it in like a hip way. My entire intention behind it was to create music that was um, fun for parents and, and teachers, that, that they could enjoy it just as much as the kids. And throughout that time, I was making videos to go along with those um, songs. So then 2020 hits and I kind of stopped everything I'm doing musically. And like I said, examining the world around me and sort of took that little new skill set of making those videos and turned them into what I was doing now with sort of protest music. So it was an interesting um, arc to go from starting five times August to becoming a dad and that's where my headspace was and focusing on my kids and, and putting out this that music and then and then pivoting into um, a protest artist of all things. I never would have thought that for myself, but um, that's where the road has led. So did you think to yourself,
1: okay, I, now I need to make protest music. No one else is doing it, I have to do it. Is that Was that the thought process? Um,
2: not necessarily, because there, there have been guys that have been speaking out a little bit. I mean, Tom McDonald's a great example of somebody who really practices freedom of speech in his music, and he's been around doing it for a while. And that let me know it was okay to start sort of saying things that maybe might be considered taboo or something. Um, I felt like I had to, just almost honestly just vent as a songwriter. I released a song called God Help Us All and that was the first song that I put out in this trajectory of things. Um, And I thought that would be the one song that you know my sort of one say on what was happening in the world. But what happened was um, I started getting all this new feedback from people discovering that song saying thank you so much for saying what needed to be said. And that let me know I wasn't alone, and it let me know that I needed to write more songs like that to let others know they weren't alone.
1: You know, protest movements, right? Um, you know, you kind of imagine them to be bottom up, right? Very grassroots. Like, for example, the Truckers Convoy in Canada. I can't think of a more grassroots. I know people who are kind of trying to tra- track it on the inside, it was shockingly grassroots. Then on the other hand, you also have these pro- protest movements, which are BLM, for example, like Beyond, which are very top-down, like huge amounts of money pumped into it from the top. And also, um, I guess the the imprimatur or the sort of acceptance of, I don't know, the system, I'll, I'll say that in quotes, but they're both co- protests or are they? I, I'm curious what you think about that, Matt. What you see in the United
0: States is that um, there's one Part of the political system that is very much in favor of certain kinds of protests, even violent protests, right? For example, in in the United States, everybody was told, you have to be inside. We're under lockdown. In Canada, we had a curfew, okay? But then the summer of love came, and suddenly go out, uh, protest for racial justice, um the looting is peaceful and you don't even need to be contact traced if you're at these events right people weren't allowed to go to the park okay and we gave up so many of our freedoms the freedom of speech the freedom of assembly all in the name of a medical emergency and the reality is we have to cherish our freedoms and regardless of the reason we can't surrender these Fundamental freedoms, whatever they are, okay, because they're the things that make us American or Canadian or part of the Western
1: world.
2: You know, I think there's a clear system in place that is. Um, there's one side of the aisle that has sort of controlled the the narrative where everything is okay to speak up for this group of things. If you speak up for this group of things, it's not okay. Uh, this group of Things happens to have the megaphone, so you see it a lot more in mainstream media, and that's what sort of uh, pushed through the mainstream uh, mass uh, narrative. And then on the other side of things, there are these simplistic values that are being um, attacked, and uh, it's not okay.
0: Well, and by the way, when we were running, or when I was running the Post Millennial, if you tried to post anything at all about COVID, even just a completely milquetoast news story, algorithmically you're getting annihilated immediately. Um, The problem was for uh, a non-mainstream publication to even talk about that at all. And that's why it's so critical that we have Twitter now and that Musk has democratized it. For example, we would have had no idea about uh, Israel and Gaza, what's going on, right? So it's extremely important that we have
1: some semblance of reality that isn't the New York Times. Absolutely. So, why, why don't you tell me a little bit about you know, your journey from you know, post millennial to based and frankly before that? So,
0: the post millennial started out as a small blog about Canadian politics. I met Ali Tagva, a Persian Canadian journalist and entrepreneur, really, and still a wonderful friend of mine. Uh, we went out for Korean barbecue, and that was basically that. And admittedly, we had a more partisan approach than other news sources do, right? The Epoch Times, we had a far more, let's say, classically partisan approach in the Epoch Times as an example. But over time, what we found was that simply reporting the facts was something that was so difficult to come across in Canada, that we became one of the largest news sources in the country. There was a point where we were hitting between three and four million unique canadian read, uh readers every single month so that's you know think about that in terms of equivalent numbers in the united states that's roughly 30 to 40 million people in terms of the absolute size of the population and that was because in canada predating covid we had a very out of touch mainstream media it's to the point by the way where You can't share news on social media anymore on Facebook because the government honestly believes that people are on Facebook to read the CBC, which is absurd. I don't think I don't think any of the three of us have ever gone on Facebook just to find a CBC article. I could be wrong. Um, But the point is that these people live in a bubble, right? It's a very narrow bubble of opinion. And when you actually try to democratize media and you try to share things with people, whether it's news or whether it's music, you're going to actually reach an audience because there are people who are desperate to be represented in the media that they see. And so given the success I had with Post Millennial and I was blessed, by the way, to have a wonderful team. and We have a fantastic team at Bass Records as well. We have Chris Wallen who worked with Brad on this single. Uh, Chris is a number one hit songwriter. He's had a hit, a number one hit uh, with Toby Keith. Uh, I think it was Love Me If You Can, get replaced by another number one hit with Kenny Chesney, um, which is Don't Blink, which is a a phenomenal song if you haven't heard it. And uh, we have incredible people in operations. We have incredible people in marketing. I think that what we can achieve with Baste is, at the very least, the beginning of a platform, to start a real cultural movement. Because in the 60s, to their credit, there were some inc- incredibly talented filmmakers, songwriters, poets even, who, uh, who changed society. And God willing, that's what we're gonna have here at BASE2.
1: So tell me a little bit more about you know, kind of your, your vision for your writing and your music.
2: I think what I try to bring back with the music I'm writing now is something with meaning, something with substance, something that, and, and something that sounds like you haven't heard it in a while, that's a little familiar, but also unfamiliar, like where has that been? Um, that's sort of the goal. It's, it's what I love about music. It's what I grew up listening to. A lot of that music from the 50s and 60s and those artists that I admire, um, that's what I hope to bring back to music. Um, because a lot of music right now in the mainstream is sort of just fluff and it's just sort of there and doesn't really mean much. Um, It's just marketing really. For a really long time in Hollywood, you know, we admire these people because they made a movie, right? Or because they made a song that that we connect to. And then they win an award and they use that moment to pretty much just tell us how to live or what we need to support. And we're kind of tired of that in a little bit. I think that the average person is tired of that. And, but I think that that's going to be important moving forward in entertainment is, is who's making the entertainment that we are all absorbing. But actually, you know, if you're
1: saying you're getting involved in culture or the culture war, that's what I'm hearing when I read this, I mean, that is also kind of telling people, you know, how they should live a bit, isn't it? Well, culture
0: matters, right? The stories that we tell each other, they matter and the music we listen to matters. It's not a command. I don't want to tell anybody that they have to do anything, but a suggestion. Maybe you could be a nice person. Maybe you should give people the freedom to make their own decisions. Maybe you should
1: allow people to assemble freely.
0: Th- those are the things we value.
1: Uh, Brad, I, I, can't, I can't help but think I want to go back to listening to your muse, the music that you made for kids. It's become morally acceptable to manipulate people. I doubt any of your songs are about how that, that's the case right
2: right no especially with the kids stuff I mean that was the most pure honest stuff I could put out into the world that had absolutely no agenda to it it was sort of just a you know in a way a gift to other families to say you know what when you need a break from the agenda stuff or you don't want to question what it is that your kids are watching um you know just listen to this stuff
1: well the the you know so-called woke culture right there's a kind of you know there's a Really excellent book titled "Cynical Theories" that kind of explains sort of the birth of woke culture and how it works, and and specifically that it's it's very cynical. And people that believe this deeply have a very cynical view of humanity. They view every interaction, like ours right now, would be viewed as a power play. It's just my attempt to exert power over you, your attempt to exert power over me. That's how things work, right? So when you're when you're going out and you're saying things like, you know, just kindness is incredibly important, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is this is how you should be. That's actually an incredibly subversive uh, thing in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Bizarrely, you know, what do you think, Matt?
0: Yeah, to be earnestly kind. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, it's a little controversial. I
0: don't know. Yeah, it
2: is. Is it worth the risk? As far as what's happening in culture right now, it's that it's the fact that there are values that are being lost within the culture. I think what's happening in the mainstream avenue is that there's this constant push to be more and more. Um, controversial as far as what it is you're doing. You know, we're seeing rappers now doing lap dances with the devil, or we're seeing um, videos, music videos, where it pretty much just looks like you're in a strip club for the entire three and a half minutes. I think people are just getting tired of that. So like these simple messages are just sort of reminders of like, you know, there's innocence out there to be celebrated as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, the thing to remember also is Throughout this entire cultural revolution from the 60s onwards, the satanic imagery and stuff like that, it's been used in abundance. We've always decried it. At the end of the day, we shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't even be horrified anymore. We should just laugh at it, right? Because it's so clearly absurd. At the end of the day, the best revenge is to live well, and you just have to laugh about it. Because if you don't laugh, you're
1: going to cry. Why, why do you think that imagery is so popular? And you know, specifically, I'm thinking about this these uh, awards that happened you know, recently where it was just
2: like the most kind of extreme version of this yeah. somehow. I think it's just part of the demoralization of America. When you're pushing it further and further along the way, um, just to sell records, just to make money, just to uh, drive an agenda home, it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse until I think eventually it does come back around to those more simplistic values. You can only push it so far before um, people start going, well, we've seen that. You know, what else is there out there?
1: One of your songs, if I recall correctly, got to number five on iTunes. Do, do I have that The right? most recent one, I think, got to number three on the
0: singer-songwriter chart. So far, as of the date of this recording, God willing, we're going to uh, get up there on the total yeah. chart.
2: Absolutely, yeah, um, yeah. A sad little man got to uh, pretty pretty far up there. Uh, actually, the the entire album that I put out last year that was all protest music. The album was called *Silent War*. That got up to number five on the iTunes uh, charts, and hopefully, we'll do the same thing with uh, even further with uh, the new single.
1: Well, what is, what was the reaction of the music
2: industry aside from bass Records coming saying we want you? But... <laughs> Yeah, I think that the, you know, when they see success, the idea is just to sort of uh, either ignore you or take you out of certain things. Like along the way in my journey of releasing these songs, it's sort of been a stair step to the realization that there's a... There, there is very much an agenda to silence you. I mean, I've had my Wikipedia page deleted. I've had Wait, w- the deleted completely? Completely. So the five times August Wikipedia page was up for like 10 years. wasn't bothering anybody. It wasn't taking up prime real estate. But after I released a song called Sad Little Man about Anthony Fauci, um, I guess I pushed the wrong buttons with some of the overlords on the Internet, and they just completely removed my page. And what the pretext was? Uh, the pretext was that I wasn't relevant enough to be on Wikipedia
1: you were
0: relevant for the past 10 years, but suddenly <laughs> yeah,
2: all of a sudden
1: I mean it's all it's, I mean comical isn't the right word, but you know it, I mean it got removed precisely
2: because it became more relevant right exactly right? right right, and those are the tactics I mean I think the idea is that they they would rather just try to erase you from the conversation altogether. It's the same thing with YouTube they've attacked a lot of my videos and just have them without any warning whatsoever.
1: No, you mentioned the megaphone. I, 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 the, I actually use that term as well. I think of it as this, the, the mechanism that's used to manufacture perceived consensus in society. I don't know if that's what you were when you say the megaphone, if that's what you were just the, the, the giant uh
0: In a, in a Chomskyite
1: fashion, manufactured consent, that, that type of thing, Jan? I, I, I mean I suppose like the the thing that I observed was we're we're very susceptible to the idea that the people around us think a certain way about something, and especially if it's a lot of people. It's sort of like, well, that's just how things are. And you, even if you're very contrarian, like unfortunately unfor- or unfortunately I am, in a lot of ways, I realize that I myself am quite susceptible to to that perception. But the thing is that to this day and age, there's a A lot of what we're told is consensus view is actually, as you were pointing out, a very, very tiny sliver of society that actually believes it, but just has the ability to push it through the culture, to push it through society. That's what I'm talking about.
0: Well, it's a civil religion, right? There's a set of secular precepts that we all seem to just take on faith alone, right? So the COVID crisis, or the COVID pandemic rather, wasn't the only thing on the agenda, right? It was also, for example, the climate crisis that got paired right alongside it, right? There were protests um, in Brooklyn, for example, for black trans uh, individuals, right? Happening at the exact same time that Hasidic Jews were getting arrested for attending funerals. What we as a society, is, we've become less Christian and as we've become less gnomian, Um, is we're trying to find new ways to express that very necessary religious aspect of our identity.
1: Pardon me, less gnomian?
0: Gnomian. So Carl Schmitt defined the Greek word gnomos as meaning the, um, the ethics of a polity when it begins to occupy a space. Meaning, for example, our founding fathers, right? They wrote the Constitution, right? The American gnomian ethic is freedom of speech, for example,
1: the ability to own a firearm. Um, core 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 values, core yeah, assumptions about what is good in the world. That's what we're talking about. Here. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Okay. And in America it's the Constitution, and in Christianity it's a Judeo Christian ethic. And both were torn apart effectively by our response to COVID and our response to each other, where we as Americans, we're refusing to talk to each other. We're refusing to love each other. But the message has to be that we have to rekindle that that love for each other, because at the end of the day, we're, we're part of the greatest country on earth,
1: right? So there's no reason we should be at each other's throats. Why do you think the whole music industry is so... Um where do you think it's gone in this direction? You know, we'll call it the progressive direction, we'll call it the,
2: the, the, the antinomian yeah. direction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that it's an organic unfolding of events. I used to make a joke where I would say this is all Elvis's fault for shaking his <laughs> hips on TV. But really, there's some truth to it because that hadn't been seen before when he when he appeared on Ed Sullivan and shook his hips. That was controversial back then. And then the next thing you know, the Beatles come along and long hair is something. And then free love, make love, not war. That became a thing. And so over the decades, it just has naturally unfolded where some of it, I think, was innocent and wasn't intentional. Eventually, um, there's been underlying satanic themes for just shock value, right? But eventually those themes get, taken hold of by a generation and brought into another generation and are taken more seriously. Uh, it's just organically unfolded in that direction to where it's a constant um, a constant um, desire to push the boundaries.
1: Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Matt, what do you think? Uh, it, organic to, to push the boundaries or an agenda-driven
0: thing? I don't think that it's agenda. I think everything is just as stupid as it appears. <laughs> just as stupid and accidental uh, an instructive uh, example of this is if you look actually at there's a, a church of Satan I think and I think the head is some guy in, in Austin Texas but when he talks you know they' not there's not even any you know, they're not sacrificing a goat you know for example in the in the Satanic temple of Austin right there's no child sacrifice I mean come on again I'm not advocating for it I want to be very clear no but the point is no he just sounds like a moralizing Calvinist or something like that. He just sounds like a CNN news anchor, right? So at the end of the day, people say things for status. They want to look cool. They want to have prestige. And in the name of that idol of prestige, we've just gone down a rabbit hole of stupidity in order to look cooler to each other.
1: Well, so l- let me use that as an example for a moment, right? Because yes, this the Satanic Church, the so to speak, what it is about though is very much is kind of the inversion of all the Judeo-Christian values. So to me, that suggests a very deliberate attempt to foster a different kind of culture, a different kind of mentality, as opposed to something accidental. That that is an example, and you have. You know, you know, Herbert Rockstar rock uh, Berkeley, uh, you know, philosopher uh, Herbert Marcusa back in the day, concept of repressive tolerance, essentially saying, you know, if you are, in a, if you have a progressive left wing view, all you do is morally right. If you have a conservative traditional view, all of you, uh, everything you do is morally wrong, and you have to struggle in, in the appropriate way to, to get rid of those things. So to me, there seems to be some sort of, it's, it's not just happenstance, whether it's the satanic church or whether it's you know, accepting of these progressive values as creed, I mean, you talked your, yourself earlier about this religion, right, um, of secular religion. I think Ariel Pink made a very good point about this. It was just
0: in some kind of offhand tweet, but his point was, if you were really anti-Christian, would you begin doing all of the terrible things that Christianity says that an anti-Christian person is going to do. The traditional argument behind abortion was, well, you know, it's not a wonderful thing, but unfortunately it has to happen sometimes. That's what it was. And now it's a completely different thing, right? Now you have people like Marina Abramovich, who I think was awarded some kind of a role with Ukraine for whatever reason of all these, of all these who's, you know, she's an artist, um, kind of a shock, kind of a sensationalist artist. And uh, so much of her art is simply about that subject of abortion and lionizing it, right? So at the end of the day, it's kind of easy to sort of predict where our society is headed because it's just decaying, right? So it's like the thing that we're doing now that's pretty bad, right? So like forcing in Canada, if you didn't get a COVID vaccine, you couldn't ride a bus, all right? You couldn't go to the grocery store, all right? You couldn't watch your wife give birth to your child. Okay. Often you couldn't receive medical treatment, right? So if you were on a list to get organs, for example, a new kidney and in Canada, most people die before they ever get, uh, you know, an working on the donor list. That's for many different reasons. But we took people who were about to get organ transplant. We took them off. We essentially said, you're not getting a vaccine. You're going to die. Okay. And it's not our problem. And now, if you look at what's happening with medical assistance in dying in Canada, as of March 17th, in 2024, people just with mental illnesses are going to be able to have access to a made provision, meaning that a nurse is going to be able to kill them if a couple of doctors sign a waiver, okay? So it's very predictable. It's very sad, but is it a central, you know, for example, like conspiracy? Unfortunately, it's just as it's we're just as stupid as we seem. That's my opinion.
1: You know, Brad, you mentioned global tyranny. I think one of the earliest things you mentioned in our interview, and I wanted to go back to what, what do you mean when you say that? That's a that's...
2: Well, what I'm referring to are all of the uh, mandates and restrictions that were put in place that happened all around the world during COVID. I mean, people were being told to stay home, stay away from your uh, friends, your family, uh, don't speak up, you know, subconsciously cover your mouth. So there was a lot of that happening. And it wasn't just in cities. It wasn't just in states. It was the entire world in every country.
1: Are you seeing what you're doing respectively in your music and, in, you know, I guess in the Music industry and with based as a kind of like a renewal to counter that um, degradation that you're describing.
2: I think so. It's interesting that you know to speak out against those things is now the counterculture. To speak up, it, it's it's a weird inversion of what it used to be because you're still speaking out against the man. You're still anti-establishment, um, but because you're not going along with the government um, and and what they're telling you to do, you're the bad guy. It's a weird, like I said, inversion of what being anti-establishment used to be.
0: 100 percent. But that's
1: why we can bring this cultural revolution and do our best to impart it. Well, cultural revolution you typically think of. The destruction of culture. No No famine. No no famine this time. Mm -hmm. Well, you just mean something different by cultural revolution. I don't mean like Mao's cultural revolution, God forbid. Cancel culture. Right.
0: Well, and that's the thing, right? Like at the end of the day, if you're an incredible poet, an incredible songwriter, an artist, who can you work with? There needs to be an underlying infrastructure for talented people. And the thing that we're so bad at, people who are not part of this... I don't know what you want to call it, system, or, you know, this oligarchic kind of bureaucracy, we're terrible at organizing with each other and supporting each other. I'm a singer-songwriter, a little bit an amateur, okay, but that's not my job. My job is to support people like Brad, it's to support the other artists we have, like Chad Prather, so that their music and great music can come to the forefront of the American conversation. Right. Ain't no rock and roll is a piece of art that's a testament to what the Western world lived under during covid, because it's important that we don't let anybody ever forget. We can't allow that to be erased, that memory. There are all sorts of people now claiming that they never told us to wear masks, for example. It's completely absurd. But that song is going to last. Right. And that's the legacy that we're trying to leave for our children, which is the legacy of living in the truth.
1: You know, and you also write about that in the American Beat, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, at the American Beat, uh, it's a a side project that we're getting together. We want to talk more about culture. We want to talk more about art. We want to talk about aesthetics. All right. I mean, you look at what Rolling Stone did and how they lionized the Boston bomber and people understand now the Rolling Stone, Ma- Rolling Stone magazine, right? It's not, it's certainly not a countercultural magazine anymore, right. right? It's another tentacle of power, right? And it's a
2: depressing realization to have.
1: What's in the future for Five Times August here?
2: Well, uh, we're going to put this song out, and, and it's out now. Ain't no rock and roll, and um, see where it goes with Based Records. I'm I'm really happy that something like Based Records exists right now. I think that's really important. You know, there's what's bubbling up right now in this sort of counterculture. Um, arena is, some, is, is things that didn't exist three years ago. So based records didn't exist three years ago. And that's exciting because now it's here. Now there is an avenue for artists like me to, to work with and collaborate and uh, find other artists. And, and we are finding each other. You know, I've, I've connected with so many different artists over the last three years where we're, we all support one another. That support system is in place. We want to collaborate with one another. And so I look forward to doing that over the next year or so and in, in, in seeing where those collaborations lead to.
1: You know, there's a whole uh, parallel uh, economy, right, that's been developing in the, you know, as, as I guess Vaclav Havel conceptualized it uh, back in the day. Um, and this is you you're very much part of that ecosystem right
0: L- listen if we're as successful as the velvet revolution and if we have our own charter 77 right and uh, somehow i'm elected the the president of a new regime of uh you know of, of new america you know i'll
1: take it you know that probably won't happen <laughs> all right you, you, apparently you please. have you have some pretty high ambitions matt
0: well listen i want to start a successful record label that's
1: a pretty let's that's a, start there let's start there <laughs> that's a
0: pretty monumental ambition actually all things considered so so where can we find the song you're able to find it wherever music is streamed and we're actually very excited to announce that we're going to have Mr. Five Times here on Vivo on YouTube, which is hopefully going to really take our movement forward culturally and uh, have a,
1: just introduce us to a huge audience. Well, so I think we, we have to hear the song. So maybe we'll actually finish up with that. Matt Azrieli, Brad, Brad Skistimus, such a pleasure to have had you on.
2: Thanks for having us. Thanks, Jan.
3: since they sold out Rolling Stone All the words that were sung in the past will never feel the same when we're looking back All the old men sitting in their makeup chairs with their gold record walls really couldn't care All the fame feels the same when you've had enough so they don't bother standing up, because there ain't no rock and roll, and the blues has lost its soul, all the punks gave the man control, and every pop star's bought and sold, no, there ain't no, ain't no rock and
1: Thank you all for joining Matt Ezrielli and Brad Skistemus and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kelly.